Okay, today is October the 21st, 2010. And let's see, do I have any announcements? Uh, let's see, is next week going to be Friday night movies? No. Yes. Next week will, but I'll have it in the bulletin this Sunday. Okay. All right, let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, uh, the opportunity to uh, name privately the God the Father, any unconfessed sins. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, for your plan, for your word, for your grace system of perception, for including us in that plan, and for your grace that is always sufficient. We pray that you will help us keep our minds clear from distraction and clutter, that we'll be able to focus completely and entirely upon your mighty word this evening so that it will have a mighty work in our own lives. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Is somebody trying to come in the door? I heard somebody knocking. Oh, okay. All right. Just want to make sure we weren't locking anybody out. The door is sticking. <laughs> the CC, the church cat. Okay, I thought I'd start by reading a, a short email that I received from Martin Mueller. I spoke of him the other night. He is a believer, a, a wonderful uh, faith rest illustration. And I'll just read, it's only a few paragraphs. Uh, many of you have this, it's in our prayer list, but I want to read it so those online that will get online here, what a wonderful illustration that this is of someone who is experiencing undeserved suffering and has a great mental attitude. He says, Hi, everyone. Here's a brief update regarding myself. It's been two weeks since the cracking noise event that has altered a lot of things. The CT scan results show two areas of concern that could either uh, be ORN, an infection, or a, can a cancer recurrence. This is, uh, Martin has had for, uh, I don't know, a long time a problem with his jaw. I think he had cancer in his jaw. He hasn't been able to open his mouth hardly at all and he started having a cracking noise in it, and they didn't know what it was, and so he continues. He says, The areas are located, located on my lower jaw and the hinge, which allows the lower jaw to move up and down. My surgeon ruled out cancer and is focusing on the ORN and infection as being the problem. My mouth mobility, which has been increasing, has decreased to 1 to 2 millimeters. Uh, you know, I don't know the metric system, but that doesn't sound like much to me. At this time, I am un unable to remove the mouthpiece or the uh, arbiturator. I'm not sure what that is. The pain factor has also returned, and I have had to start using pain uh, medications again. Over the next few weeks, we will be meeting with surgeons regarding how to proceed. At this time, surgery is the only remaining option that I have. We hope to accomplish the following. 
remove the dead and dying bone, remove scar tissue, and regain some mouth mobility. At this time, we do not have uh, a confirmed surgery date yet, but it will be sometime in November. As to placing any bone tissue, replacing any bone tissue, we have ruled out using any donor tissue from a... <laughs> he has Jack blank blank S. <laughs> I'll finish reading. <laughs> uh, surely y'all have heard of Samson and what he used to... This is what he's talking about. <laughs> As to replacing any bone tissue, we have ruled out any bone, uh, any donor tissue from, he's essentially saying, a jackass, because those jaw bones are still in use in Washington, D.C. <laughs> and not to mention that they uh, uh, come with uh, teleprompters. In the midst of all this, you have... Uh, you have to keep a sense of humor and to focus on what lies ahead. Gunnar had informed us some time ago that I would be able to open my mouth when he turns nine. That's his son. Now that is two years away. To think that I would cheat on his prediction and undergo surgery just to prove him wrong. He's also been trying to get the whole family booked on an earlier fight to heaven. <laughs> uh, but that... <laughs> But that, by that I mean he announced that he was tired of waiting on the Lord to take us to heaven and he was going to let the Lord know how he felt. At least one thing is for sure, we will not be flying standby. That is a wonderful moment of comfort to know as a believer. You will never have to fly by standby to heaven. Your flight is guaranteed in a twinkling of an eye you will be face to face with the Lord. I have attached a photo of the famous print called Grace by Eric Enstrom. The history of this print is fascinating. Fascinating. Eric Enstrom made the print in 1918 and took it to a convention. He wanted to take a picture that would show being thankful even in time of war. In this case, it was last year, the last year of World War I. The simplicity of this photo is wonderful and illustrates being thankful in a great way. <clears throat> the, the, uh, I wish I had a, um, a, a <clears throat> excuse me, a slide of this, but it's it's an older man. He's he's at a table. He's bowed over with his hands in prayer, and he has a piece of bread and it looks like some kind of bowl of soup or something in a Bible sitting on the table, and you can tell he's giving thanks. Then he says, "Simplify, Martin, Tracy, Gunnar, Winston, and Tessa." What a wonderful illustration of a, a believer who is undergoing terrific, undeserved suffering and has such a wonderful attitude. Uh, I said this Tuesday night, anytime you think you have troubles, you don't have to go far to find someone who has it far worse than you do or that I do. Okay, let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, <coughs> excuse me, verse 19. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. <clears throat> or you could look up here. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, we've gone over this already. I was uh, informed by one of my students that I felt spinumi 
wrong. <laughs> and that's good. When I'm corrected by my students, that means that I'm, I'm actually teaching them something. So it should be S-B-E-N-N-U-M-I. And it means, of course, to hinder, to dampen, to thwart, to quench, or to extinguish the Holy Spirit. Uh, we've gone over uh, a lot of this already. We looked at Ephesians 5.18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit and not quench the Holy Spirit. I made sure that everyone realized that when you quench or grieve the Holy Spirit, you still have the Holy Spirit. You do not lose the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, some people get really mixed up and confused because they don't really know how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They don't know what spirituality is. They don't know how to go from carnality in, back into spirituality. And they think that you lose the indwelling of the Holy Spirit when you uh, sin. And therefore, they are always wondering, are they really saved or not? Because they really don't understand spirituality. And we went and looked at the fruit of the Spirit. When you quench the Holy Spirit or when you grieve the Holy Spirit, what happens is all these things on the left, which are uh, the fruit of the Spirit, changes and re is replaced which with that which is on the right. And so why is it important that you be very careful that you don't quench or grieve the Holy Spirit? Because you don't want to be in that right-hand column. You want to be over there on the left. And on the left-hand column, you can't produce those yourself. Only the Holy Spirit can. So as soon as you find yourself in carnality, post-haste, you want to acknowledge that sin to God so you can be again, uh, put the Holy Spirit in the driver's seat and He will produce that fruit of the Spirit in your life. There's the one that says, uh, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Then we saw the difference between grieving the Holy Spirit and quenching the Holy Spirit. The consequences of, of both grieving and quenching are the same, but the way that you get out of fellowship determines of, as to whether you are grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit. We'll just drop down to the bottom line, literally. Quenching the Spirit is human good from the area of strength of your old sin nature. Grieving the Holy Spirit is sin from the area of weakness, which is that area that, or that propensity, that tendency uh, for us to sin. The consequence is the same. You get into carnality and you're in uh, bad shape. But however, we know that 1 John 1, 9 is where our mechanic to get us back into uh, spiritual uh, vigor. I think we ended on this, do not despise, and then it says prophetic utterances. <clears throat> you notice that do not despise, again, uh, right here is a present active indicative, oh, excuse me, present active imperative. So many of these, it's nearly like staccato. It's just bam, 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 bam. Very sharp, very pithy verses that are just about all of them are in the imperative mood. And then we see... Um, Prophetic utterances, uh, there was a spiritual gift called the gift of prophecy. It was, it was functioning in the church age. Even when Paul wrote this, it was still functioning. It does not function any longer. It was the ability to uh, have prophecy, to give someone prophecy. Uh, we might call that the eschatological 
uh, things that are yet future uh, before there was a canon of Scripture, before there was the New Testament. And, of course, once the New Testament was completed, circa 96 A.D., then that gift was no longer needed and it was phased out. We could go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 where it says the gift of knowledge and prophecy and tongues were going to end. And if we, when we went through that, we've done it before, the time that it was going to end was by the time that the canon of Scripture was completed. Uh, that word, when the, when the perfect comes, and the perfect is in the neuter gender is not referring to Christ, it's referring to the Bible. When the Bible was completed, by that time they would be out, phased out. So I've gone through that fairly quickly to bring us up to speed here. This is lesson number 72. And we look at, well, I, here I have it right here. Love, this is the, the verse in uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, and that's the first class conditional clause, means that there were, uh, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. So if anybody asks, well, where is the proof that these things no longer exist? 1 Corinthians 13.8 is one of the places. So this verse also conveys the idea that we are not to belittle or consider prophecies unimportant in the Bible. It is important to acquire a personal sense of destiny. If one has no knowledge of eschatology, that would be things yet in the future. If, they, if you didn't know anything about prophecy, you couldn't acquire a personal sense of destiny. Read yourself into the future things. And if you don't have that, you're going to be behind the eight ball because we're living in the devil's world. And sometimes we derive strength and hope from the eschatology, the prophecies that we have in our soul, believing that they are true and reading ourselves into the picture. Actually, we're not reading ourselves into it. God has already done that. The rapture, the tribulation, the second advent, the judgment seat of Christ, and the millennium are extremely important doctrines. There are churches that just simply don't go into eschatology whatsoever. And there are some that would avoid the book of Revelation like the plague because they think it's divisive, that no one can really understand what it means. It's a mystery and all these things. But the Bible itself says that Every word, every jot, every tittle of the Word of God is important for us to analyze, to scrutinize, to absorb, to metabolize into our soul so that we can be faithful servants of God. Apart from that, we are going to be casualties. Revelation chapter 19 says, uh, 10 says, The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Prophecy is not a bad thing, it's a good thing. It's not a peripheral issue. It is a critical issue. If you don't know what's going to happen in the future with regards to your eternal destiny, then how are you any different than an atheist or someone who is totally ignorant of doctrine? Uh, I don't know. If, if you don't have any knowledge of eschatology, it's hard for you to not be afraid of death because to you it's just a, a leap out into the darkness. You don't know what it is, and that's a fearful thing. But we don't have to fear because we know what's going to happen. We know what's next on our Lord's agenda. And we have the hope, we have that confidence that motivates us and inspires us to carry on. Even when it seems like it's useless, 
We know that God's Word is true. That's where the faith comes in. We live by faith. And for those who know eschatology, then we can connect the dots and see all the things that are taking place in our, in our own lifetime. We have the TV and the radio and so forth. And wow, we can see that God is, His, His prophecies are already lining up. Everything that He said would happen is happening. And I'm tempted to go into specific details, but that would be kind of on a rabbit trail. But I will say this. Just look at Israel. Who knew that over 2,000 years ago that a prophecy that Jerusalem would be a cup of trembling for the entire world? And what is it now? Israel is in the little bitty, little bitty, probably there's counties in Texas the size of Israel, and yet it is front and center in the headlines of the news more than any other thing. So we'll press on. Verse 21 says, But examine everything carefully. We have the Greek word dokimazo. That's a verb. It's a present active imperative. It means to try, to prove, to discern, distinguish, or approve. The notion of proving a thing, whether it is worthy or not, it means to test. So we must do this all the time. This is one of our one of our activities that we should be actively engaging in every single day. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13 says, Each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire will dokimanzo. It will test the quality of each man's work. So we're being tested. The entire time we're on planet Earth is essentially a test. And you don't have to dread the test. I remember there were a lot of things about high school. I really uh, I loved high school. I guess one reason is because I had a lot of freedom and not the crushing responsibility that comes with being an adult. I thought I was an adult, but I, was a, I had an adult body and still had a kid brain for a while. But one of the things that I did not like were the teachers that would come in. And I, I mean, when you would go into their class, they would say, Okay, get your uh, notebooks out. We're going to have a pop quiz. And what did you... y'all remember that? What, what went out among the whole class? Oh, you just groaned, you know. So I don't want y'all groaning because I'm saying life is the test. I'm not telling you anything new. You already know that already. Every day we're going to be tested. And there's no way to play hooky. Nobody can write you a note. You're going to be in the test. And one of the... I don't, I don't guess it's unfortunate, but uh, when you don't pass a test, guess what happens? You get it again. And if you don't pass it, then you get it again. You get it again. I think in today's education system, a lot of times they pass kids. They did that every once in a great while when I was going to school just to get the kid out of their hair, just pass them on to somebody else. But I don't categorize myself as one of those people. Now, well, we'll just move on again. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. So choosing deacons is a very serious matter because they are, uh, represent uh, part of the leadership in the church. And it takes time and it takes scrutiny. It takes 
time to analyze, to see how they're going to be in different circumstances. And I'll tell you one of the main, number one criterion that I have for choosing deacons is if they're not faithful in taking in the Word, they're off the list. I don't even consider them. And they have to do it over the long haul. So we all have to be tested. But in this particular case, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, and it, well, in chapter 3 is where you get the, the qualifications for a pastor and for deacons, and they have to be tested. They have to be analyzed. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, that holds true today, uh, probably, probably more than it has ever before. And you know why? It's because we have so much access to information. I mean, I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm on information overload. Every day coming to my house, through the computer, through the mail, through the TV, uh, any other way you can think of is information coming in and bombarding me. And I have to take all of that information and I have to test it. I have to analyze it. I have to decide what am I going to keep and what am I going to throw away. What's important and what's not important. But more than anything, how I respond or react, what I'm going to do with that information, is going to be determined by measuring it against the Word of God. And we all have to do that. And it's a harder job today. I mean, just probably 100 years ago, certainly 200 years ago, you could live in a community and a lot of people never got 20 miles away from where they lived. They didn't know what was going on on the other side of the world. They didn't know what was going on in the next county. Information moved very slowly. And by the time you got the news, probably things had already changed. So it's not that way now. I mean... Sometimes I think, well, what if you could just get away for a month and not receive any emails? You have no letters, no news, no anything. Well, some people would think, I'll sign up for that one. But then others would just, they're so used to being in the frantic pace that they would go crazy probably by the third day. Where's my mail? Where's the TV? Where's the mail? You know, just go on and on. But we have to test everything, and we've got a lot of information to test these days, especially with the Internet. The Internet is a, a wonderful medium, or at least it can be, and you can learn so much. On, you can just about learn anything you want to, but you have to be careful, especially when you're dealing with the spiritual realm because there are so many false teachers. There's so many subtle traps that are just out there waiting for some gullible person to come along and say, hey, well, that sounds pretty good. I think I'll sign on to that. So we have to analyze and be very careful because sometimes the deception is, is nestled into a, a lot of an article maybe is true, but right somewhere in there is the false. And if you buy it because you've learned, oh, this is true, this is true, this is, nah, this is there's got to be something go off and I'm not buying this. I'll keep going, this is fine. You've got to be able to analyze and you can't do that if you are spiritually inept, if you are ignorant, if you don't have doctrine in your soul. Well, I can't tell you what to do, but if I could, I'd say if you're spiritually immature, stay off the Internet with regards to spiritual things. Because if you start just 
immersing yourself in these things and starts uh, registering up here in your brain and you, you remember it, you might think, oh, well, this is something that is orthodox. This is something that is true. So I, all I'm saying is we have a, a huge job. It's not easy for us today to obey this, to test the spirits, to test the information that comes into our lives. Being able to analyze and examine someone or something in order to determine whether they are good or evil requires knowledge of Bible doctrine. Is it important that we are able to distinguish between good and evil? But solid, this is Hebrews 5.14, but solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Open your Bibles. I want you to turn to that verse because I want you to uh, underline something for me. Here are the words I want you to underline. These are the pivotal words. Solid food. Mature. Practice. Trained. And discerned. If you left out all the other words, you could still pretty much get the gist with those words. Solid food, mature, practice, trained, discern. So if you're going to obey this, this present active imperative, a dokimazo means to examine everything carefully, If you're going to do that, then you have to be able to have already obtained solid food, gone to at least a certain measure of maturity because you have practiced. That's what you're doing right now. You're practicing. Some people, you know what? Just thought of something. Uh, Some people practice law. Some people practice medicine. We ought to be practicing doctrine, shouldn't we? Somebody said, well, what do you do? Well, I practice doctrine. <laughs> I'm going to have to remember that next time I talk to a doctor or to a lawyer and they say, well, I practice medicine, I practice law, well, I practice doctrine. That's what we're doing. We're practicing. Okay. <clears throat> Very important word. You have to be able to have something to measure it against. If I went into uh, a doctor's office, if I went into a place where they do surgery and they someone told me I want you to go there to the instruments that the doctor is going to be using and I want you to check them out I want you to carefully analyze them to make sure everything is in order well (laughs) I could go over there and say well yeah they're all shiny it's not going to happen came up on the spur of the moment it might be a go over like a lead balloon but the more that we are into doctrine we are in there are so many false doctrines today that all must examine everything very carefully before radio, the internet. I don't know how, I don't even know that are the deal with the Bible newsletters and 
I do a lot of reading, but I look forward to it. It's not after this Bible class. Have another time. And that might be just the edge you determine what's false and what you're going to reject. And you have to be an honest because the enemy never lets us. The enemy is very... And it's all looks like the real that we have to be determined. And it takes consistent practice. If it's a vain origin, just something God would have heard, something that came from Satan. Sometimes the Bible talks about the, the canister. The word can in Greek is K-L-N, meaning rock. First dictionary of the New Testament. Quote, a reed or a Anything used as a thing or needle of a balance. Find bit of under behavior. Galatians 16, verse Our measuring are the like. What he's talking he says that the baby is. But that is the bullet is the scripture. It is in the mail and you're reading it. Hmm. All right. I'm not too sure. This is what we read. Notice in the, in the verse, put the ears up word. On it every single day. Johnny, scripture. John, but uh, you're a sinner and you don't. You're just good. To that which is good. Uh, here. Coco. A, a two. And herbs and onion uses on. It means to lay our fashion, acting artistly, practice, continual. Here's a few verses. Lead down. Because it's very hard that we ask. First, is the, the problem, or in this case, instruction of God? Take a lot of to. With a tight in your hand, lock it. That's nothing. Look at the instruction is. That would be with she. Chapter 345, verse 47. It had words to it. He said, Heart, are in warning today, which you mend your sub all the words are for this. D is your life. The word you will enjoy possess. The Bible says, are you most in God? Seconds chapter 2, verse 15. Stop. From, don't let it. Chapter 20. Hold that way. For you know what is in place. There comes me when I was in a fat and everything. And parts in your hand same day. These days and doors, you pick what out. What I look and wait. Now, if you don't have the money, no problem. Just get your plastic out. You can have it right now. Worry about the other later. We are the now generation. We want it now. And yet we have the Bible telling us, hold, let us hold fast the confession of our hope, our confidence without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. It's going to happen. You hear me talking about the judgment seat of Christ, rewards, decorations, privileges, opportunities that are going to last for all eternity. We've gone to the verses. But we have to hold out. I don't know how long we have to hold out, any of us. For some of us, it might be shorter than we think. Maybe for all of us, the Lord might return at any moment. Hold on. What is that song? Hold on, I'm coming. What, who, do y'all know who sang it? It was a 60s song. Y'all just aren't hip, I know. It's just, it's just, it's too rock music. Revelation 2.25 Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. Hold on to it. There are times. You may be going through one now, or maybe you've just gone through one, or maybe your time is tomorrow. But there are times when you want to just get discouraged, disgruntled, disheartened, and you want to throw in the towel. I'm tired of it. Everything I do, nothing changes. It gets worse all the time. I pray, and what happens? It just falls to pieces. 
I try to go to class. I try to apply doctrine. I treat people the way, best I can, the way they should want, I want them to treat me. And all I get is higher bills, more scorn, more problems. Things keep breaking down. I just want a gripe. Let's just have a big, let's all get together and just complain. And let's just, I mean, do you ever feel that way? No. Well, Revelation 2.25 is written to people like that. And if you haven't been that way, your day's coming. Nevertheless, what you have, what is he talking about? What is it that you have? Well, is he talking about eternal security? I don't think so. You have that. You can't lose that. But there is something you can lose. You let go of your confidence and your trust in God and His Word. And it's going to cost you dearly. That's what the Bible is saying. You're going to be ashamed at the judgment seat of Christ. You might even go out on the sin of the death. You're going to live a miserable life because you're no longer trusting the Lord. There'll be no decorations and rewards, opportunities, all these things for all eternity. And he's saying, hold on to it. It's worth it. I'm coming. Well, yeah, he's coming. It's been 2,000 years. Not for us. I don't know how old you are, but however old you are, that's how long it's been. It's been, well, it's been 2,000 years. Well, maybe so, but not, not, that's not the way we see it. Revelation chapter 3.11. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. Do you have a crown on layaway? Do you have a crown on order? Some people think, oh, well, y'all got it on order. It's, 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 it's a done deal. That's not what I see the Bible saying. What is the done deal is your eternal destiny. You, you are going to inhabit heaven. There's no question about that. But what is still in question is, what are you going to be in heaven? What are you going to be doing for all eternity? Does that matter to you? I can't believe I talk to people and I'm trying to tell them, look, and I'm talking about believers, not unbelievers. And I say, you've got to grow up. You've got to connect the dots. We live in the devil's world. You're going to be confused. You're going to, you're going to be completely overrun. You're going to be a casualty if you don't get with it. And all the wonderful things that God has in store for you are going to be lost for all eternity. Well, yeah, but I'm still going to be in heaven. <laughs> That's when I have to rebound. Because it makes me want to draw back. And that's, I shouldn't tell you that. You'll just move on again. I'm just having to keep moving on here. And that was what we're supposed to do, just keep on keeping on, keep on moving on. Now, so that we are to hold on. And that confidence is so important. Your confidence in the That's the ball game. We're to live by faith. What is faith? It's trust in the Lord. It's trust in His Word. And when that starts to flag, when that starts to fail, you're in heap big trouble because that is the ball game. That's what it's about. People, oh, well, I've got this to do. I've got that to do. I've got the, you know, all this. And before you know it, the, have you, has any of you ever seen a chicken with its head cut off? Okay. Well, if you've seen that, that's what you're doing when you're no longer trusting the Lord. You're doing a lot of things. There's a lot of activity. I mean, you, 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 well, it's not a pretty picture. Well, you know, that's what we like. What we're like when we forget to trust in the Lord. If you just want to relax, why don't you just start trusting? 
and hold on to what you have. You can lose it. I have seen believers, and it is exceedingly sad to see someone that is on, on fire for the Lord. And then Satan's got his little tricks. He's got his little traps. He's got his little minefields. He's got all these techniques to distract you and get you off guard. And they'll see someone go cold. That is a sad sight. Because they lose so much. The Bible tells us. More than you can think, more than you can dream of, more than you can even possibly imagine, God has prepared for those who love Him. Those who stay the course. And for all eternity, you will be looking back and say, I'm so glad that we went over that. I'm so glad that the Bible told me to hang on. Don't give up. It's all about faith. It's all about trust. I'm so glad because look what, look what it resulted in. See, that decision is ours, not God's, with regards to our rewards, that is. So, we are to hang on to that which is good. And the word here, kalos, K-L-O-S, is an adjective. It's an accusative singular neuter. And it means good as to quality and character. This is a different word from good that is used in uh, verse 15, which is agathos. So you have two words. You have agathos and you have kalos. Both of them are translated good. Uh, but here's the difference. What is good here is what is doctrinal. We should hold fast to that which is doctrinally correct are approved. And here is a quote from the complete word study dictionary of the New Testament. Quote, Generally speaking, the two basic words, kalos and agathos, may be used of any quality, physical as well as moral, thing or person, that may be approved as useful, fit, admirable, or right. In the moral sense, kalos connotes righteousness, good in oneself, while agathos has the quality of kindness, helpfulness, benevolence, and love. So that's why kalos is used rather than agathos. Rather than, uh, let's see, this is a quote. I don't know if you have caught on to my pattern here, but if it's in italics, it's a quote. And this is from uh, D.M. Martin, volume 33, 1st 2nd Thessalonians, from the uh, New American Commentary. And this is what he says. Quote, Rather than stifle the Spirit, that would be the Holy Spirit, by the contemptuous rejection of the prophetic word, the church should give prophecy a careful hearing. However, Paul did not recommend a gullible acceptance of every message claiming divine authority. The presence of false teachers in the church from an early date made blanket acceptance of prophetic claims foolhardy. So what you're to do, whether it's me or any other person that is disseminating the Word of God in some form, whether it's verbal or whether it's written, whatever it may be, you have to carefully weigh it against the Scriptures. Against what? The canon of Scripture. That's standard. And there sometimes might be hid, hidden in there just a little bit of arsenic. How much arsenic do you have to take before it's harmful to you? I have no idea. But I don't want to drop, do you? How much are... Does anybody know? Good. 
<laughs> if you knew something strange. But anyhow, uh, <laughs> yes, it takes uh, 15 drops. Okay. Uh, but if you had a glass and you were just taking a drop and putting in there, and you say, oh, this probably wouldn't hurt. Well, well, I feel the same. Let's try two drops. That's how insane it is to just wholesale accept something without measuring it, without weighing it against the Word of God. Verse 22. Let's see what time we got. Okay. Um, abstain from every form of evil. So we have the word abstain, which means op erco. Uh, that's a compound word. And look, this too is in the imperative mood, but it's a middle voice. It's a present middle imperative. Uh, that means you're acting upon yourself in order for this to be accomplished. You have to do it. And we are to abstain. It comes from two words, apa, which means off, and erco means to have or to hold. So you hold it off or you stiff arm it. You abstain from it. You don't have it. You stay away from it. Means to hold off, avoid, abstain, or to keep uh, away from. And then every form of evil, and the word evil here is poneros, P-O-N-E-R-O-S, and it's an adjective, genitive singular neuter, and it means evil in a moral or spiritual sense, wicked, malicious, or mischievous. And I think, well, maybe I'll go. Uh, we're going to spend a little time on this word evil. Because we use it, I don't know if you use it, but it's, it's, it's a word that's normally used in the English language. And yet spiritually, very few people understand what evil is all about. Remember, where, where is it first mentioned? In Genesis, remember? Adam and Eve were to stay away from the tree of what? The knowledge of good and evil. And, of course, uh, Eve was duped into partaking the fruit. And Adam had to make a choice. He looked over at Eve, holding out the apple. Come take a bite. And she was, no doubt, one gorgeous babe. And she was naked. And it was either her or the Lord. Well, you know the end of that one. He chose Eve. He partook of the fruit. And it's interesting, the first thing that the Lord said to Adam after he had disobeyed, the first thing he said is, now look, I told you not to eat that fruit. It's not what he said, was it? The first thing he said, because you have hearkened unto your wife and eaten of the fruit. See, God set up Adam as the ruler of the earth. He delegated the authority to him. And he acquiesced, he caved in and submitted to someone that was under his authority. He violated God's authority structure. And that's the first issue that God dealt with, even before he got to the disobedience. But anyway, we're going to spend some time on evil. I don't want to get into it right now. I just would, uh, I'd rather start fresh uh, next Tuesday night on evil because we're going to see there are different forms of evil. And it's a, it is really an interesting word. It's an interesting concept. And hopefully when we're done with this part on evil, you're going to have a better understanding of what it is, which means you'll be able to better discern between good and evil. And we are mandated to do it. 
We'll get into that next time. Let's close. Father, thank You for this time You've given us to fellowship in Your Word. We're so thankful that these commands that You have given us are are able to be obeyed, but not in our own power. These are all accomplished through the ministry of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. So we have nothing to dread. We don't have to groan when we think about being tested because actually it's you who are glorifying yourself through us, through these tests. Because we can't take any credit. Indeed, we can't even pass a test apart from your grace and providing the Holy Spirit, giving us everything that we need in order to get through it. So we pray that we will understand this concept so that we can give you thanks in all things. We pray this in Christ's most high and holy name. Amen.